right, Porch, how we doing? Yeah, it's good to be here. It's been a while since I've been with you guys on a Tuesday night. My name's Todd. I hang out here at Watermark with the rest of the guys that normally get to encourage you a little bit, and I am glad to be with you and all the friends that jump in with us online. We are making our way through the book of 1 Peter. You know, you come in a room like this, and especially if a friend invited you for the first time, you're tuning in because you've heard about this thing called the porch, and, and you hear they're just studying verse by verse a book of the Bible by a guy named Peter, and you're like, all right, what in the world is this going to have to do with me? That book was written a long time ago by a guy that I'm not really sure had anything to say. How can it be relevant to my life? I'm going to show you how exceedingly relevant the Word of God is. God's Word is timeless. It is profitable to teach you. In fact, when it says that in the Scripture, that's a Bible verse, it's profitable for teaching, it means it alone can do what nothing else can do. Why is that? Well, see, I'm 50 years old, I'm about three decades older than most of you guys are in this room, and so one of the things you wanna do is learn from folks who have done stuff before you. Now, here's, here's just a little syllogism that is true. It's been observed by men throughout time. It's simply this, and that is that wise men learn more from fools than fools do from wise men. Because why wise men will learn from the affliction of fools, fools will not learn from the blessing of the wise. Because they think they got it all figured out. They got nothing to learn. That's why so many times that old joke is, man, I can't believe how much an old man learned between the time I was 18 and 25. Because the things that you rebelled against him when you were in high school, all of a sudden you're out there in that workaday world and you're realizing that maybe some of the things your dad was encouraging you towards made a little bit of sense. That's even more true when you're 50 and you're raising your own kids. And you start to hear some of the same things come out of your mouth and the same passion for the younger generation now that you're stewards over, you're desperate for them to know. Well, here's the thing. I got better news for you than a, a guy who's three decades ahead of you telling you something because uh, I'm gonna share with you something that's even more profitable than the wisdom of guys that have lived five, six, seven decades. I want you to hear from a loving, eternal God that is determined to record for you truths that will set you free, because that's what God wants to do. He's not looking to rip you off, he's looking to set you free. And every now and then, he worked in the context of history to, to have imperfect men produced for him by the enabling of his spirit. That shouldn't be a big deal to you, right? If there is a God and he's there, couldn't he use me to paint some amazing, I've got zero talent as an artist. I've got even less talent as a, as a singer. But if God wanted to, couldn't he kind of make all of a sudden uh, my hand just throw out some Rembrandt-like masterpiece? Of course, otherwise he's not God. If God wanted to, couldn't he have uh, me become some virtuoso? Absolutely. If God wanted to, couldn't, me, couldn't he have me write something that would make Shakespeare want? Yes. And that's what God did. He said, at certain times in history, because I love people, I'm going to communicate to them, and I'm going to take finite men, and I'm going to give through them infinite truth. I'm gonna take uh, individuals that are imperfect and I'm gonna produce for them perfect truth. Then what he did is he perfectly preserved that. By the way, that's, that's just my, not my idea, that's historians' idea. They will tell you that your Bible is the most historically preserved book in history. More than that, it is a book that has been put together in a way that absolutely makes no sense. What if I told you that I was gonna take 40 different authors have them write in three different languages across 10 civilizations on, um, over a period of like 3,000 years. And then I was gonna say, and what they write never contradicts 
what they write is always without error, and what they write always deals with the same problem and offers the same solution. You would go, well, only God could pull that off. That's what your Bible is. When I say it's the most historically preserved book in all of history, we have more manuscripts, manual, handwritten, script means to write, more recorded uh, copies of the original autographs. Autograph isn't just a guy's name, it's when they first wrote things down. We have more copies of what was initially written down than any other ancient book in history by the tens of thousands. So we can be sure that what we're reading today is a historically accurate representation of what we had written when it came right off of Peter's pen. And Peter's gonna tell you that everything he wrote was inspired, but there were certain books that were preserved and certain books that were left for you. Why? Because the highest ideal of a philosopher is that he would hear a more sure word from God. A philosopher is a lover of wisdom. That's just what it means. Phileo, lover. Sophia, wisdom. A lover of wisdom. And Plato is the one that said this. He said, until we hear a, sure, a still more sure word from God, we're gonna be like ships making their way through the sea in, this, in a storm in the middle of the night. There's nothing anchored in the heavens, stars, fixed lights in the universe that we can navigate by. All we gotta do is trust what we think are the most experienced sailors on our ship, and there's nothing certain. It's a storm. There's truth that is anchored up there that is veiled. And so what do you think we should do? Which way should we go? How should we sail? That's led many of folks to shipwrecks. Some made their way through. And what I'm here to tell you is that this book that we're studying tonight is God preserving for you an anchored truth. It is light in the midst of the darkness. It is revelation. It is the veil pulled back that you might learn something that would be useful to you. First Peter 4. You ready? Let's look at it. We're only gonna cover six verses. That's all they gave me. So uh, <laughs> let's see if we can't cover them. Here we go. Therefore, now I'm gonna stop right there. This is why they gave me six verses. I'm about to talk about one word. <laughs> Whenever you see a therefore, you gotta ask yourself, what's it? Therefore, see, you guys already know this. We won't spend long. The therefore that is there is there because we just got done reading chapter three. See, you're bright. I don't have to review that for you. Three comes before four. And so there's a truth that has been revealed right there that we gotta focus on. What is it? This is the truth for Christ, Jesus, this guy who claimed to be God on earth. He died for sins once and for all. Not because people took his life. He said, I'm gonna lay my life down. The way you're gonna know that this is my choosing and not yours, there's a reason that when Pilate grabbed me and said, hey man, don't you know who I am? I can set you free. Jesus grabbed him, I think, by the scruff of his royal robe and said, hey man, you've got no power unless my Father in heaven gives it to you. Jesus knew exactly who he was, exactly why he was here, and exactly what he was doing. Nobody took his life. He laid it down, and he said, as evidence of that, I'm gonna pick it back up again. Watch this. Is it true, Jesus, that you said that the temple would be destroyed, and three days later you would raise it from the grave? He said, just watch. If you think it's a miracle, and they thought it was, that Jesus was referring to Herod's temple that was built over a period of years at a massive cost using all kinds of slave labor, you can't do that in three days, well, I'll tell you what else you can't do. You can't take a life that has been killed, certified as dead, and bring it back. Unless you were up to something and you were somebody that was doing something that all of us needed to know about. For Christ also died for our sins once and for all, the just Jesus, perfect, righteous one of God, for the unjust, me and you. 
so that he might bring us to God. That's why he said, I'm doing it. Because God, people ask, you know, all the time, and does, does the cross show God's love for us? Well, the cross primarily shows God's holiness. God didn't die for you. I just, I hate to bust your little bubble. God died for him. See, God is a God of holiness and righteousness and justice. And he will not put up with sin. If I want to, I'm gonna walk you through the meta-narrative of the Bible. I'm gonna tell you why you're here. And we'll tell you why now that you live here, it's so important, especially if you understand what we're gonna talk about tonight. Are you ready? Do you know that in the beginning of John chapter, uh, of Genesis chapter one is not the beginning of the Bible? In the beginning of Genesis chapter one is the beginning of God's interaction with recorded human history. But there is Bible, there is story that existed before that. That's why when we're placed here on earth and created, he says, I'm gonna tell you, here's truth. There's a liar there on earth. He is the prince of that world, but I am the king of the universe. He's gonna try and deceive you and tell you that you don't need me. I'm telling you that you need me. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life, so walk with me. You need nothing but the trust in me. But because God is not a God who creates robots, he's a God of love, he gave you a chance to show your love for him. He put you in a perfect place, gave you perfect provision. We call it Edenic, we call it paradise. He just said, just don't eat of that one tree. Because that one tree shows that you have faith in me and you believe in me and we have a relationship. As long as you got a relationship with me, life is good. If you separate yourself from me, the God of life and goodness, you're gonna get death and evil. So don't go there. But you know, you're free if you wanna follow a liar. What happened is that God created the angelic realm before that. We know that, that that's exactly what had pre-existed us. And there became a day, we see this in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, and other things, actually the beginning of your Bible is even referenced in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God always dwelled in perfect triune unity. And he had created angelic beings, ministering spirits that were there to honor him, worship him, and benefit from his creating them, being in his presence. One of them said, I don't think we need God. One of them specifically that we know his job, because God was so holy, angels couldn't look directly at God, was to reflect the glory of God so other angels would in fact look at them and see God in the reflection through him. That one angel was so used to people looking at him, he goes, you know what, maybe they're looking at me not because I reflect the glory of God, maybe they're looking at me because my life is so awesome and wonderful, I think I'm God, I think in fact I could do better than God, and so he said, worship me. And God cast him out of his presence. And a third of the angels believed that lie, that there was somebody more great than God. So we see God's justice and holiness right from the beginning. He doesn't put up with people that try and usurp his power and usurp his person. Why? Not because he's insecure, but because when you trust in something less than perfect beauty and love, you're gonna get something less than perfect beauty and love. Some of you guys know that. Because you've been chasing beauty and love in all the wrong places. And you've got the scars to prove it. And God's not mad at you. Christ died for your sins and mine, the just for the unjust, and then it might bring you back to God. So what happens? What God's gonna do is something amazing. He's gonna create this thing in his image, this people, humankind, male and female, both glorious in his image. He created them, he placed them on earth. He put them on earth, and, and on that earth, he put them in a perfect situation to enjoy him forever, but he said, you've gotta walk with me and have a relationship with me. I'm not gonna make you have it, I'm just gonna show you that you should. There's nothing in your life, there's no death, there's no sin, there's no shame. You can be naked and unashamed because you're so other-centered. 
Can you imagine that? Isn't that all of our nightmare, right? We've all had the dream. If we didn't, we act like we had the dream because that's the ultimate nightmare dream when you're a kid in second, you know, in second grade. You had a dream that you went to school in your underwear, right? Okay? Or when you get a little older, it's like something happened where you're just naked at school and you know, it's not like you're walking around like you're Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 70s, all proud of yourself, all right? You're like, this isn't a good thing. But can you imagine us being so other-centered, so not driven by the lusts of our flesh that we could be with each other naked and unashamed? I mean, it's just unfathomable to me because I'm a lust bucket, all right? And because I'm an insecure, self-centered person that would wonder what you're thinking about me all the time because this flesh is fallen and trapped by sin and a liar. But God put me on this earth to reflect his glory. And as long as humankind walked with God, we were glorious. Now watch this. He knew in putting us here that eventually we would betray his name. And God also knew that because we'd betray his name, we would suffer. You're like, why would God create a world where he knew people that he loved, made in his image, would suffer? Answer, because God was gonna show something that would never be seen unless he put us on earth. And that's not just his justice and wrath. That had already been displayed when the angels were judged. But now God's about to show his kindness and his goodness and his love and his mercy. Things that had never been understood. They they hypothetically existed, but God had never had a chance to show it. And so these people that were created in his image that had been given perfect paradise, who rebelled against him and scoffed at his name, is God going to destroy them? No, God's going to rescue them. How? Because in the beginning, the God who was the word but was not God, but was with God. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus, was gonna come. And he was gonna live a perfect and holy life. And even though he didn't deserve the wages of sin, he was gonna pay it. So he could rescue you and bring you back to God. And not only that, but because you, as a human, went through this amazing revelation of God where the angels are beholden and going, what is he doing? He's becoming a baby. What's he doing? He's going to a cross. What kind of God is this? The angels sang when they saw the love of God. The angels were filled with just awe. The scripture says in 1 Peter, things in which the angels long to look. Actually, 2 Peter, it's like, who is this God that loves this way, that rescues sinners who is holy? See, that's why God went to the cross. Because he was going to show you that he doesn't wink at sin. He didn't say, ah, men will be men, come on in. He says, no, that's sin, it offends me, it separates you from me, and it must be dealt with. But I'm going to show you love. I'll take, I'll take your justice so you can see my kindness and be drawn back to me for it. The therefore is therefore because of 1 Peter 3.18. Let's say it again. For Christ, it says in the Scripture also died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Therefore, in light of what Jesus did for you, in light of who he is, in light of the fact that you are that scourge of the earth, like me, who mocked God's goodness, who thought we could find life going our own way, who, who ate of the tree of good and evil because we think if I know good, I don't have to listen to God anymore. The problem is God said, hey, listen, I'm happy to tell you what's good. Follow me. See, God wasn't trying to keep information from us. He just knew if we separated ourselves from him, it doesn't matter what kind of information we've got. We're not gonna choose the way of life. Let me ask you guys a question. Most of the mistakes you're making in your life right now, I'm not talking about at work. I'm talking about in your living. 
Are they mistakes you're making because you don't know better? Or are they mistakes, mistakes that you're making because you know better but you just can't do the right you know you need to do? You know, girls, you're not supposed to stick your finger down your mouth to throw up so guys think for a little bit in your 20s you were attractive. You know, guys, that girls aren't playthings, that they're made in the image of God and they're not there for your pleasure. They're there to be honored and cherished. You know better. You know, guys, that life isn't worth living so you can win some imaginary war on your iPhone or some imaginary football game with your thumbs or have a relationship with some imaginary woman on some two-dimensional screen. You know better than that, right? But how many of you keep going back and digging up that bone? like a dog returns to its vomit. And God's not mad at you. He just says, come here, come on. See me. See me for who I am. I'm not just a just God. I'm a loving God. Come here. Therefore. (laughs) Therefore. Since Christ has suffered In the flesh. We just talked about how he suffered in the flesh. Why? Because he's redeeming you. He went to the cross to show his glory, and he went to the cross because he's going to redeem you in his glorious state without compromising his nature and his character. You know, believe me, just go read Romans 3, 21 through 25. It tells you why Christ died. For the justice of God. And we benefit from that. Because his justice has been satisfied so he could love those who are unlovable like me. He says, in light of this, folks, you know this. You know the story, man. I've just told you. You're not just wandering around listening to philosophers or people that can tell you where life might be. The clouds have rolled back. There is a truth anchored in the heavens that God in his kindness has allowed you to see on earth. This isn't just some fable. This is history. Go back and test it. Look at Secundus. Look at Tacitus. Look at Josephus. Look at the testimony of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They also are eyewitnesses, just like the the secular historians I've just observed. God said, this isn't just some poetry that Muhammad threw out for you. This is history. It is verifiable. You can make sense out of it. It's not nonsense. It is true. There is an empty tomb, man. David talked about it last week. Because you know that. Arm yourself. I love this word, hoplizo. It's a word that just basically means to make yourself ready, equipped. It's the only time it shows up in your New Testament. And it basically says, you gotta put this on. You gotta go back again and again to the story that that Wagner just walked you through. Not the philosophy, not the ideas of men, but the historical record that can be tested and verified. In light of that, in light of clothing yourself with that information, in light of being informed that God isn't there to rip you off, he's there to rescue you and set you free, that he's not angry at you, that he's burdened by your bondage to sin, that you know what's right, but you can't do what's right. He says, arm yourself with the same purpose. In other words, live just like Jesus did, because God exalted him, gave him the name above all names. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. He is out of the time of suffering. He is out of the time of any kind of judgment, and he is in glory. Because he lived to honor and please God, you should do the same thing. 
Because you now know this God that you should learn to love and serve is not there to keep you from having fun. He's there to lead you to life. He's there to rescue you from the death which comes from doing what seems right to man or from the death that comes that even though man knows the right thing to do, he can't do it. You see, he set you free from the dominion and the power of sin. I'm gonna give you an illustration for that, that that has always been helpful to my life. When I was a young man in my 20s who had no prospects of a girlfriend, I bought a dog, you know? And (laughs) word was they were always your friend. And and so I said, okay, let's go, Let's, let's be friends. And, um, and we spent a lot of time together. Not as much time as people think I had to teach them some different things. When I was your age, there was a, a Stroh's beer commercial that was on. Stroh's beer, you can Stroh's beer, right? Um, anyway, something we drank in the 1500s. And it was, <laughs> it was a beer that, that, that had this one commercial that, um, that this guy had a dog. The dog's name was Alex. And, and, and this dog would do whatever the guy said. And so at one point, he actually told Alex, go fetch me a cold one. And Alex walked into the kitchen. You could hear the refrigerator open and bottles clanking. But Alex, who had done everything he said in the first 30 seconds of the commercial, wasn't coming back in. And then all of a sudden, you heard this lapping sound. <laughs> you hear the commercial closes with, Alex, that better be your water, all right? And the idea is this dog that'll obey everything he says. When he goes to fetch a cold one, he can't help but drink it himself. That was the idea of the commercial. And so I thought to myself, I wonder if you can teach a dog to do this. Now, Caleb knew about 30 different things. He was a great hunting dog. We had all kinds of hand signals worked out. Um, I would actually use him when I went to speak. Um, at the time, I wasn't a guy that was imbibing the Strohs. I wasn't a guy that, that felt like that was the right thing for me to do because the kind of folks I was hanging out and working with. And, but, I, but I did like diet Mountain Dew. Actually, I like straight Mountain Dew. The diet came a little later. If I was naked, I would be ashamed before you because of it. And so, um, and so anyway... Um, I tried to teach Caleb, okay, and uh, to, to go, and I, I taught him to fetch me a cold one. This is what this dog could do. I'd say, fetch me a cold one. If folks were at my house, it was a great party trick. He would walk in the kitchen. I had a sock tied around my kitchen uh, refrigerator handle. He would pull the sock. He would nose it open. He would get in there, and down there was the Mountain Dew. He would pull it out. He would nose it shut. He would walk it in, put it at my feet, and sit there. And that's how I got married, right? So he'd uh, like, hey. <laughs> That's impressive, right? This guy could probably raise kids with me if he can do a dog like that. I just sold 2,000 golden retrievers right there. A bunch of guys were rushing out here to buy a dog. But anyway, Caleb was my dog, and I was great with Caleb, okay? Um, I tell you this story because it's a lie that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You can. If a dog knows what it is that you want it to do and the dog knows that you love it, once it understands what you're saying, it'll do whatever you want it to do. But let's just say I was an abusive owner. Let's just say I was an owner that was cruel to Caleb, that I thought it was funny that I would take his hunting dummy and would throw it in the middle of the street just to watch him chase it by instinct, only that he'd get hit by a car and bloodied up. So I could just laugh before my friends at the carnage, you know, like some dark snuff film. What if I beat him? What if I kicked him? What if I, every time he didn't listen the way I wanted him to, I just knocked a tooth out? I was an abusive owner. What if... Somebody walked up to me and watched me abusing that dog. Let's say I'd raised this dog who had been trained by me and, and, and spent all kinds of time with me, slept with me. The dog did. When I got married, that was the one thing my wife said, the dog is out of the bed, right? I was like, fine, no problem, right? So the dog would lay 
on the foot of my bed, but no longer on the floor. I can remember one time my wife and I were kind of getting after each other, you know, uh, a couple of months after we were married, and I called home. We had answering machines at the time. And I just go, Caleb, Caleb, hey, go kennel up in the bed. Get in the bed, Caleb. Go get in the bed. She came home, and for the first time since we'd been married, the dog is laying on the bed, slobber on the pillow. <laughs> totally angry at the dog until she listened to the messages and heard me. <laughs> then Caleb slept in the bed with her that night, and I was on the floor after that happened. But that's how the dog listened to me, okay? The dog listened to me that well. No, no, no fooling. Okay, but what if somebody watched the abuse? Let's say I was an abusive owner, and somebody came to me and just said, hey, Todd, how much you want for that dog? Well, the dog's not for sale. No, I want to know how much you want for that dog. And let's just say they gave me a price that I couldn't resist. I mean, put a crazy number on it. Sold. All right, three billion. <laughs> three billion bucks, all right? So the dog's sold. I'm set for life. Let's just say you've had that dog. Caleb's in your front yard, and I walk by a week later. And that dog, who's for 10 years lived with me, here's my voice, here's the whistle that I had for him. What do you think that dog's instincts are gonna tell? That dog's been set free, he's been redeemed, been bought. You're now his new master. No longer the dominion of me as an abusive master. What do you think that dog's gonna do when it sees me, when it hears my whistle, when it hears my voice? Everything in that dog's flesh is gonna tremble and it's gonna wanna blitz out and I'm gonna whistle just in time to have it hit by a car again. Why? Is it still my dog? Is it still my slave? No, it's been set free. But that nature and that flesh is still trained by impulse to listen to this master that sought its destruction. Now why do I tell you this? Because I want you to understand 1 Peter 4, 2 through 6, so you can see you're just like that dog. Some of you have come to understand, really, already, you're not just here for the first time hearing the story of God's love for you. You've really believed it. But you haven't learned your new master's voice. Your flesh hasn't learned to trust his goodness and his kindness yet, and you're still not sure that God is good. You're still listening to that old master who told you there is no God. Or if a God is there, he's there to rip you off and not set you free. And so you still hear the whistle of bar rooms. You still hear the whistle of anorexia or excessive diets or, or affirmation by men. You still hear the whistle of, of bondage to pornography. You still hear the whistle of numbing your pain the way the world offers to numb pain. And even though your master says, you don't have to do that anymore, there's life somewhere else, you're gonna keep running there unless you learn to meditate on the goodness of God and focus on the goodness of God. And why do you wanna do that? Because all your dog buddies that used to watch you be devastated and ravaged by sin because you had a master who was abusive over you is no longer your master. And now all of a sudden there's a good and loving master that's redeemed you. And all the other dogs that are still owned by me need to know that there really is a good and loving master out there who is an infinite supply of billions to redeem them if they would just say, have you shopped me lately? And then the analogy breaks down then because the truth is we've been bought with a price and God set us all free. None of us have to live with that abusive owner anymore. And there are a bunch of dogs that are still slaves that need to see you've been set free. Now watch this. Watch this. It says, arm yourself with the truth of the kindness of God because he suffered in the flesh he ceased from sin. In other words, the one who is no longer listening to their flesh's urging to go after that familiar voice, and sometimes it is hard not to listen to the familiar voice of the world. 
Some of you guys have trained yourself for two decades to do nothing but listen to the voice of the world and the lusts of your flesh. That's all you've ever listened to. Your body has literally hardwired itself to be pleasured in certain ways and to desire certain things. And so when it calls and it pulls, you're not suffering in your flesh. You're just going along with your flesh and you keep running out into the street of destruction. And yet you're somebody who's supposed to know the kindness and goodness of God and a bunch of other dogs who are still in bondage to this terrible master are wondering if you ever knew a good master who set you free. Oh, that other master doesn't love you either because you keep leaving him to go back to the master of death. What 1 Peter 4, 1 is saying is, therefore, since you know the kindness of God, you suffer in your flesh the way that Jesus, who knew the kindness of God, was willing to go to a cross because he knew that God was gonna permit what he did not love in order to create what he did love. Suffering in his son in order to make provision for you and me and for us. He's saying, hey, listen, Todd, your flesh, when you trust me, your flesh is not dead. You know, there's no program in your Bible, none, to reform your flesh. We are called to die to our flesh. We say the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. We say I have been crucified with Christ. I'm not really dead, my flesh isn't dead, but I consider it dead by faith. I don't listen anymore to the the whistling calls of the world. I don't listen to the lies of the enemy that says God's not good, and I don't listen to my flesh, which which is conformed to humanity, which is broken. But I have another master now whose voice is, you don't have to listen to that, Todd. I know, I know it's strong. I know the pull is there. You guys ever get that? Like, if God loves me so much, why did he create me to love sin so much? Answer, he didn't create you to love sin. But you're part of the downline of humanity, which has chosen to rebel against God. And what God is doing is he's calling, now, watch this, 1 Peter 2, 9. For you are a royal priesthood. You are a a holy nation. You are um, a people for God's own possession because you have been called out of the darkness into his marvelous light so that you might proclaim his excellencies. In other words, you don't have this abusive owner anymore. Everybody in the world is an abusive owner. There's one righteous owner with more than a billion dollars worth of assets. He's got the eternal blood and provision of God to rescue people from the wages of sin. He sets you free. Now you're across the street in the kingdom of God. Why do you keep running out? into the middle of the street and dying like all the other dogs. Why is your flesh not suffering? Your flesh keeps running to lower Greenville. Your flesh keeps running to illicit relationships and pornography. What, why? Answer, because I'm not arming myself, reminding myself of the kindness of God. That's 1 Peter 4, 1. It says in 4, 2, it says, so as to the rest of the time, in the flesh is no longer for the lusts of men, but now for the will of God. You guys ever done this? I mean, I, I, you know, dying, dying well is not easy, is it, right? I mean, you, you think about people who die well, maybe die nobly. You ever think about that? Like there's old, all kinds of stories about somebody comes in the room, the doors are locked, guns come out, and they say, who's really a Christian, right? I'm gonna kill you. And if you stand up, and maybe let's just say a few bold people come step into the Rachel Scotts of the world, go, I'm a Christian, boom, dead. Right? You go, wow, she died well. Do you know what I think is even harder than dying well and nobly in the midst of immediate threat of execution? It's living well. I think as hard as dying well is, the, the easiest thing for me to do is to profess Christ and then not just to be baptized but to be executed. 
I think, I think I could be convinced of the kindness of God and so, so sure of my salvation. I'm like, look, man, if I'm gonna trust God and I'm gonna die right now and go to glory, send me to glory. I'll, tr- I'll, I'll, bet, all, I'll bet everything on that. But how about this? Okay, no, I'm gonna let you live. And I'm gonna let you live when the world seduces you and your flesh craves things and the enemy lies to you. And I want you to live not as a slave to your flesh, not as a person who's seduced by the world, not a person who listens to lies. That is not easy to do. but it's what godly people do. It's what First Peter is begging you to do. The, the time that you live right now, we don't live according to the lusts of men. That's not other men, that's us. Because we know that our flesh thought things were right and we, haven't we all learned that our flesh isn't right? Haven't we all done what our flesh said? This would be a good idea. We go, no, that's got guilt and shame and scars written all over it. I, I, I was a fool. I didn't learn from wise men who had, who had committed the same mistakes and had the same scars. I, I had to go get scarred up myself. I had to make that my story. But now I've learned. And so he's saying, now that you've learned, man, okay, you've seen the, the wickedness of sin and the life of God. Let's live for the will of God. Let me just give you a, a decent cross-reference. One of the things I love about your Bible is your Bible's not confusing. It's a bunch of writers, they're all saying the same thing because they're inspired by the same Holy Spirit. This is 1 John chapter two. Let me read this to you and then we'll tackle the rest of 1 Peter. Watch this. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. The reason we, we don't want to sin is not because if we sin, God's gonna judge us. No, we've already, if we trusted in Christ, been set free from sin's decree, which is if you sin, you die. Well, I go, God, I deserve to die because I was a rebel just like this just like Satan. You did what? Christ is who? He's God? He died for me? The just? For me? The unjust? In order that he might bring me to God? You died for my sins, past, present, and future? I'm no longer, I'm no longer a victim of my own rebellion? That's right, Todd. And not only that, but you don't have to listen to sin anymore because sin told you that I was not a good God. Sin told you that you could find life apart from me. But I've shown you now in history that you can only find life with me. I'm not just just, I'm loving and merciful and gracious. I give you what you don't deserve and I withhold from you what you do deserve. Come learn from me. You don't have to listen anymore to your flesh, which is Adam's lineage. Listen to Jesus, who is my son. John had just written that same story. He said, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin, not so that you would lose your salvation. You can't do that if you trusted in your good shepherd, but so that you wouldn't be scarred by it. And if anyone sins, this is what he's gonna say. We've got an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He himself is the propitiation, the appropriate sacrifice. That's what that word means. Not just for ours, but for the whole world and anybody who wants to trust in the goodness of God. By this, we know that we've come to know him. Oh man, let's pay dune right here. Guess what he's gonna say? First Peter four, one through six. How do you know if you love God? Let's go. By this, we know that you have come to know him if we keep his commandments. You're free, man. You no longer have to live in the street of destruction, despair, and idiot owners who roll balls out in the street and our nature wants to go and get them so he can laugh at our destruction. No, now we're still free to chase balls if we want, but we know that that ball is leading to death. And so we're free to sit there because we know there's a better way than trusting our flesh. Because our master says, don't don't go, don't chase that ball. 
Hey, that's the wrong ball. Hey, look at me. Chase this ball. At the end of this ball, all right, is a filet. Go chase that one. Go. Still get to chase balls. We just find life there and not death. Listen to me. I know, hey, I know that voice is familiar to you. I know you've listened to a liar for a long time, but listen to me. Learn from me. Come, are you weary? Are you heavy laden by listening to the lie? Listen to me. The way you know that you know that God is good is you listen to the voice of the God that you know is good. Are y'all tracking with me? It's first John, it's first Peter. And what he, what he says right here, watch this, follow this, by this we've come to know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. In other words, man, if you go, I can't not sin, I can't stop doing this. Oh, yes, you can. If you knew the goodness, and the, what you do is you love you more than God because really, maybe your problem's not Satan, maybe your problem's just you, you've enthroned yourself. You think you know better than God. You've eaten of the tree and good and evil and you think what's good is good and you're gonna do what seems good and you're gonna say, hey, if it feels good to me, why don't I do it? Why would God make me this way and not let me do it? Well, because he didn't make you that way, sin did. And sin will kill you. Well, I, you know, I, And I just say to my friends, man, if you like what you got, keep doing what you're doing. If you like your master, keep following him. But I'm gonna tell you, if you keep following that master, you're not gonna like what you get. Can I show you the scars? I chased that same ball. I listened to that same master. Can I tell you how God picked me up and taught me a better way? That voice still, still is attractive to me, but it's now overpowered with another voice I've come to know so well. This is what it says then in, a little bit later in that same chapter. Don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, see also Genesis 3, the same words that were there. They're not from the Father, but they're from the world. The world's passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God will live forever. Because this world that is Satan's home and sin's dominion, God's going to say, that's enough. And there's going to be a day when he's going to come to judge the living and the dead and say, there's not going to be any more of this stuff. We're going to put it away forever. I've shown my justice. I've shown that I'm a loving and merciful God. It's time to live in the kingdom. Now, you that know that there's a king that's coming to do that, what he says is, would you please live in this world that is a slave to the king of sin as if you know another king, like an alien. You're not ruled by the king of this world. You're ruled by the kingdom of God. You're ruled by the God who is sovereign over this world. Would you trust him? Because the rest of the world needs to know there's another voice they can listen to. They need to see the life that you found. They need to see the freedom that is available. If you run after what they run after, then it looks like you don't have a king that loves you. You look like they do. May it never be that those who have been reconciled to God look like those who do not know his kindness. There's been enough time for that. Now's the time to live for the will of God. For the, the time already passed, it says in verse three, is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking, partyings, and abominable idolatries. Now, do you guys love the movie 
Uh, Princess Bride, yeah, we love it, good, thank you, so do I. And um, I love the movie, I mean, I haven't seen it in forever, but, but it's one of those movies that we all know the lines, right? And there's that great moment when, um, you know, Vinzini has been uh, chased by um, dread, the Dread Pirate Roberts, or actually it's not the Dread Pirate Roberts, we know that now, but it's Wesley who's coming after his dear Princess Buttercup who has been stolen, that every time he thinks he loses him, he goes, that's inconceivable, right? He keeps saying, it's inconceivable. And finally, when they make it up that great cliff in Nigo Montoya, and I wish I had a better accent, after hearing this for about the 50th time, he goes, that's inconceivable, right? He goes, you keep using that word. I do not think you think that word means, what, I do not think that word means what you think it means, right? It's kind of, can I tell you guys, that's kind of what the world and your friends are saying. If you say you know the kindness and the love of God and yet you keep on giving yourself away, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to girls who are sleeping with their boyfriends and they go, I just want them to know Jesus. I don't know why he won't believe me when I tell him God is good. I go, because I don't think you know what that word means, that God is good, because you keep listening to the same master your boyfriend's listening to who doesn't think that God is good. He thinks God's trying to rip him off, including not have moments of ecstasy and pleasure with you. Never mind the guilt and the shame. Never mind the fact that he knows that's not the way to build a good relationship. It's all about him. And why wouldn't he live in a way that's all about him? Because he doesn't know there's a God worth living for. And you're trying to introduce him to a God that's worth living for, who's good and kind and righteous in all his ways? I do not think you know what that word means. <laughs> because you don't listen. It's inconceivable that you would know the love of God. And not that you wouldn't slip up at times. That's First John. It's okay. He died for our slip-ups. But somebody that says he knows that God is good and continually, as a matter of practice, ignores the voice of God and goes his own way, I don't think they know who the goodness of God is. God's not mad at them, but they're deluded. Do you know what's supposed to change people? When your friends go, how come you're not chasing all the balls we always used to chase together? How come you don't listen to him when he intimidates you and tells you he's going to kick your face in if you don't do what he tells you to do? That your life's going to be miserable if you don't listen to him? Answer, because I've been redeemed, man. I've got a different master. There's a great story of Augustine. He's an early church father. And Augustine was walking down the street when he was converted. Augustine was not this guy that was raised in Sunday school. Augustine was a guy that was a lecherous human. He stole just for the pleasure of stealing, and he had pleasure just for the pleasure of pleasure. He was walking down the street, and one of his old lovers saw him and said, Augustine, it is me. <laughs> and Augustine is recorded to have said, yes, but it is no longer I. And he kept on walking. And people looked and go, who is this guy that no longer listens to the whistle? Let me just bring this to a, 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 an updated you know, deal. Like Augustine was living today. You know, he gets pinged on a text. Augustine, you want to watch Netflix, Netflix and chill, right? <laughs> and he would say, do you want to come over and read the word of God and live? Because, man, every time you got that text before that said, let's watch Netflix and chill, you were like, be right there. That master said, roll that ball, and you were driving, right? 
But all of a sudden, you're going to something better. I know I could go over there and have a moment of intense pleasure, but I also know it's going to be racked with pain, maybe lead to murder. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Oh, God, give me the strength. Remind me that this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and your commandments are not burdensome. You know what the burden was, Lord? The burden was guilt. The burden, the burden was lies. The burden was deceit. The burden was, was me having no respect for myself. That was the burden, God. Oh, deliver me from this body of death. The scripture says... In verse four, in all this, they, your old friends, they, they are surprised. The word there, it's, it's zenizo. It's a word that, that um, you guys, when, when all this stuff with Trump is going on right now with the wall and, and uh, we're gonna ban certain people in certain countries, you've heard the, 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 the word, you're a xenophobe. You guys heard that? Okay, a xenophobe, you know what a xenophobe is? A xenophobe is somebody who, is, who has an unhealthy fear or dislike for strangers or people from a foreign land. It's a xenophobe. X-E-N-O-phobia. It comes from the word right here. Some of your Bibles, if you're reading a different translation, it will say they think it's strange. They look at you and they go, that ain't normal, man. How come you're not the girl you used to be? Something's changed. How come you don't? That is, that is weird. And you know what the world does when it sees somebody that lives for another world, a world it doesn't recognize yet, that's still in bondage to deceit and sin? They, they, they will malign you. They will go, oh, like, like my sons. My sons won't look at porn. And so they're called homosexual, right? Because they won't take the phone when it's passed around. Do they want to? Absolutely. Even as young men that have been raised in a home to, to learn about the kindness and the goodness of God, their dad wants to look at it. My flesh is like, go, baby, chase that ball. But we go, no, 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 because that, that, that's going to hardwire our flesh to make it even harder to say no the next time that ball is rolled. And I don't want to go there because I know what that leads to. I know it leads to sexual dysfunction. I know it leads to addiction. I know it's, it's, it's worse than, than cocaine and heroin, scientifically proven. It's just, I don't want that. Oh, I want it, but I don't want that. Deliver me from this body of death. Lord, help me not to give in to fleshly lust, which wage war against my soul. Can I tell you something? Now listen to me on this, okay? You ready? Guys, you don't have a soul. All right, biblically, you, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. The body which you have right now has been marred by sin because it's, it's part of the lineage of Adam, but God has put in you and taught your soul the truth. The life which you now live, you live not in the flesh, but by faith in the Son of God who loves you. Why? Because you're not conformed to the ways of the world, but you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have armed yourself with 1 Peter 3.18. And all the truth of it and the kindness of God that has rescued you from bondage to sin and death. And so this soul, which is trapped in a world that's still ruled by, by a rebellion against God and, and a deceiver who is the spirit over it and a flesh that is marred by sin, you don't have to listen to it anymore because what's inside of you is the power of God, a right understanding of God, which keeps you from listening to everything that the world listens to. And guess what the world does when all, when your flesh doesn't do what their flesh does, it maligns you because it's convicted by you. It blasphemes you. It says you're self-righteous. It says that you're uh, uh, 
um, intolerant of other people's choices. And you just say, man, I'm just trying to live this way. And I'm telling you, I live that way. There's life over here. That's what the word means right there in 1 Peter 4, which is in all this, they're surprised, they're xenophobes, that you don't run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and they blasphemo, they malign you, they heap abuse on you. What's wrong, man? You're a prude? You're scared of God? You got a guilty conscience? No, no, man, no. No, I'm just, I'm just guilty because I've sinned against God. And God's not mad at me. I, just, I used to think God had a rule book and I had to follow it if he was, if he was ever going to love me. And I've seen that, that when I am, I'm a God just like you. I want that stuff still. I'm not better than you. I see how broken I am. I've done those things, man. And even more, I know the kindness of God and I still want to do those things. What kind of nut am I? I say, be thou my vision. And yet I want to go chase these things into death. But, but all I am, man, I'm a, I'm a guy who by the grace of God has come to know his kindness. He says, they're going to malign you, verse 5, but, all right, when you see a but, you're supposed to stand back and look at it and, and ask yourself, <laughs> why is it there in the text, okay? <laughs> and so what's happening here is a shift, okay? There's a shift. That's one of those excerpts that idiots on YouTube will go, listen to what Wagner said, man, come hear this guy. But listen to me, you see a but, okay, why is it there? Something's about to happen. I know you're getting beat up. I know the girl's mocking you. I know she's saying, why won't you come have Netflix and chill? I know why your buddies are going, oh, what's happening, man? Lost the libido? What's going on, man? And what you're just gonna do is you just say, but, I mean, here's the truth. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That's a humbling verse. Verse six continues this, for the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. That though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. And all he's saying is, hey, listen, hang in there, okay? This is, you're not the first person this has happened to. Um, in Acts, we have um, Paul in Acts chapter, uh, what, 26, in verse 24, Felix is talking to Paul, and Paul's talking about living for God. He goes, you've lost your mind. You're out of your mind. Are you crazy? Jesus, in Mark 3, 24, is told um, that his family came for him, and they said he is beside himself. He's no longer in his right mind. And they, they, they beheaded Paul. They crucified Jesus. They've tortured saints throughout all of time, but guess what? Though they have died, they live in the spirit. This is Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 10 in verse 28. He says, do not fear those who can kill the body. Remember, you, have, you, you don't have a soul. You are a soul and you have a body. And this body, this corrupt body is going to be sown into the ground and raised to newness of life. And, and, and all that's going on in, in 1 Peter 4, 6, he's saying, hey, listen, man, don't get overwhelmed. I know it's hard, but they're gonna give an account for mocking God. He is ready to judge, and the only reason he hasn't judged yet is because of some folks at the porch on April 25th, 2017, that he hopes see his kindness and his goodness again. So before he rolls up history, 
Someone else trusts in God's kindness. They're sick and tired of listening to abusive owners. He's done more than three billion. He's, sp- he's spilled out the precious eternal blood of God. And so you keep getting suffering. You're suffering even if no one throws rocks or hurls insults at you. You're suffering because your flesh still wants to sin. Don't be discouraged about that. Your flesh is always gonna wanna sin. Be encouraged that you're no longer a slave to your sin. If you appropriate the power of God, the benefit of community and yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. These guys were judged in the flesh by men to be worthy of death. But don't worry, the God who lives has said they're worthy of honor and to be part of the kingdom of God forever. This is Paul, Peter reviewing 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23. You ready? The therefore of 1 Peter 4, 1 is spelled out earlier in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23. For Christ suffered for you. He left an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Um, And while being reviled, he didn't revile in return. And while he suffered, he did not utter threats. But, but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges rightly. And folks, that's our hope, man. Your flesh is going to mock you. The enemy's going to mock you. The world's going to mock you. And you just say, okay, man. I've made my decision. I'm going to follow the one who gave his life for me, not the one who laughs when I get scarred again, not the one who takes pleasure in seeing me destroyed. Here's what you do. First thing is you stay humble. You remember, and this is going to, this is going to take two minutes, you stay humble. You remember that you did not come to God because you were raised in church and you were some perfect little saint. No, no. Titus 3.3, for we were once foolish ourselves, right? Amen, porch? Disobedient. We were deceived. Todd Wagner was enslaved, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. I spent my life in malice and envy. I was hateful, hating one another. But by the grace of God, man, the kindness of God appeared to me. In Jesus Christ, my Savior, and his love for mankind appeared to me. I saw it for the first time. I, I, someone told me, hey, this is not a rule book to beat you up over the head. This is a love story. This is history. Go test it, bro. There really was a guy named David. There really was a Pilate. There really was a Jesus. There really was a cross, and the tomb is really empty. You know why? Because it's true. And this whole time you've been living in rebellion, you've been following the way of the world and the lies of the world, and he saved you, Todd Wagner, not according to deeds which you have ever done, in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Do you see it? What's God showing through this corrupt, broken world we're living in the mercy of God? By the washing of the regeneration of the power of God and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. You stay humble. Second thing you do is you stay holy. That's 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6. It's why you're here, to be holy, to live holy lives amidst a dark and perverse generation. Why? Because if you're running after the same ball they are and getting hit by the same car as they do, it looks like you have no master. It's a figment of your imagination. No, you cling to Jesus. You remember the kindness of God. You honor him. You listen to him. You don't get conformed to the ways of this world, but you are being transformed, not just on Tuesday nights, but in your study every day, in your community groups, when you gather with the saints and you say, be thou my vision, oh God. You stay holy. Why? Because God wants others to know there's a master who can set them free. 
And so how you live matters, church. I mean, you're saved if you've trusted in Christ. Your Jesus died for you, but he wants you to live for him because he loves people like you, being ravaged by sin. You be bold. You preach that gospel. You go tell people that this life is not all there is, that there is more, and that they are a soul with a body, and this body is marred by sin, and God's gonna raise it to newness of life. And you be happy. You chase the balls God throws, and I'm gonna tell you something, man. It will set you free. I, I, I am gonna tell you this. I am 30 years older than you. I started walking with Christ about your age, and I am happy. I am blessed by God. The wife of my youth loves me and respects me. I have six kids who, though I'm imperfect in the home, love me and respect me as a father. Our home is intact. We work through conflict. We laugh together. We seek good together. We serve others together. I am at peace with my God and with my family, and God is using me for his good. I have purpose and forgiveness and meaning and love. Be happy. This is the kindness of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Amen? Father God, would you convince them it's true? We, Lord, I don't know how come we're here. I don't know why. You, you, you pushed us here to hear this message, and maybe some of us have even believed it. I don't know why, Lord, but we... We, we want to be humble, and we don't want to act like we're better than anybody else. We don't scoff at people that are somewhere getting $2 shots on some dead Tuesday night that they're trying to make alive by offering a bargain. We're just shocked it's not us. And Lord, we want to be holy. We want them to look at us and go, why aren't you listening to that lover's call anymore? It's because we've heard a real lover who gave us a real call. And so we want to be bold to talk about the goodness of our master who has set us free from the master of sin and death who told us there was life places that we have drunk from only to find out he was a liar indeed. And Lord, we thank you for the kindness that comes as we live your way and live a holy life. Blessed. So Lord, teach us now. Take these hands. I know they're empty, but with you they can. Use us for your glory. Let us sing in Jesus' name.